Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. This time I'm delighted to welcome along Amy Benny, who's the chair of Daisy Network. It's the only charity dedicated to providing medical and psychological support for women with premature ovarian insufficiency or POI. After being diagnosed with the condition as a teenager, Amy's dedicated to helping those through the diagnosis and raising awareness of POI within the wider community. She's author of the book Daisy Network, Our Guide to Premature Ovarian Insufficiency, and works as a psychotherapeutic counsellor. Welcome along, Amy. Hi, thank you for having me. So uh, if you're happy to, to tell us about your, your own story and your own sort of journey to, to your diagnosis, how old were you when you were diagnosed with POI? So the process, I suppose, started when I was about 15, when I still hadn't started my periods. And my mum thought that wasn't wasn't quite right. Mm. I've got an older sister who, she's two years older, but she started her periods quite young, at about 11. And I think my mum kind of assumed maybe I'd follow suit or maybe I was a lot smaller than my sister but maybe thought I'd be a couple of years later but when I got to 15 she was like "Mm, I think something should have be happening by now and I being I was a very shy awkward teenager didn't want to talk about it no nothing it's fine it's it's too embarrassing leave me alone it's embarrassing don't want to talk about it um and she was like no I really think we should go to the doctors just to check so Went to the doctors at 15 and they said, yeah, I mean, maybe should have started by now, but you're quite small in height, you're quite slight. We'll give it another year. We'll wait till you're 16. Um, you might just be sort of a slow, slow developer. Hmm. So that year passed and I think my mum was kind of fingers crossed, hoping something was going to happen that year and it didn't. So 16 came along and again, I was kind of dragged kicking and screaming to the doctors where they were like, yeah, something should have happened by now. We'll start doing some tests. So I had blood tests to check my estrogen levels and my FSH levels. And we then got a phone call to say, can you come in? And I think it was at that point we're like, oh, something's something's clearly not right because you don't usually get a phone call telling you to come in if everything's okay so yeah I went in and they basically said my brain was screaming at my ovaries to work so FSH level was sky high screaming at my ovaries to work and they just weren't responding so they said yeah it's your ovaries aren't aren't functioning the way that they should be at the time I kind of sat there like all right okay well what does you know what does that mean whatever (laughs) yeah exactly and my mum my mum was crying and I remember turning to her and saying like what are you crying for because I I didn't really grasp the concept of it I was just like okay Mm. my ovaries aren't working yeah it'll kick in at some point yeah (laughs) and and mum said to the doctor sort of well can she have children and the response was not in the traditional way and then they said we'll refer you to an endocrinologist at the hospital they'll explain things more so that was kind of when I got the initial diagnosis I wasn't really told what the condition was I didn't really get told what it entailed I was only told that um, my ovaries weren't working 
that I couldn't have children in the traditional way and that it was an extremely rare thing to happen. So that's kind of how I got the initial diagnosis and then I was referred to an endocrinologist who then did sort of further investigations and kind of started me on a, on a treatment plan. Mm. So And that was the point at which they sort of gave you the, the POI diagnosis or...? No. Ah. So <laughs> I was never actually given the terminology POI of premature ovarian insufficiency. I was never told that that phrase. I was never actually told what the condition was. It's just that my ovaries weren't working. And that's mm. kind of what I held for a lot of years. Kind of, I even remember Googling kind of ovaries don't work. <laughs> Defective <laughs> ovary syndrome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All of these silly sort of phrases of, trying to figure out, well, what is it? Like, how do my ovaries not work? What does that mean? And I couldn't find anything really because I did, I was never given the actual phrase. It was only sort of through my own research, I mean, years later, where I found out the actual name of it. Um, and for that period of time, like that, I was told it's such a rare thing to happen. It, it's really rare for a girl's ovaries to just not be functioning. And I thought I was literally the only person in the country with it because I didn't have the name of it. I didn't know anything about it other than it's really rare. So I went for quite a lot of years not really understanding what was going on and thinking I was the only person that this had happened to. Hmm. How, how common is it for, for it to happen to, to somebody that, that young? As you yeah, were? so it's, it's quite rare for it to happen sort of before you even start your periods kind of pre-puberty I suppose the statistic is like one in a hundred thousand which is very rare but also Mm. not that rare if you think (laughs) of the amount of people in the country one in a hundred thousand that's a fair few amount of people yeah so I think when I found that out it was quite comforting to know that I'm actually definitely not the only person in the country that this has happened to. And so how did you how did you find Daisy Network? Was that already in existence and, and you found them or? Yeah, so I didn't find them until I was in my early twenties. So it was I'd had the condition for about five years when I found them. And that was again just through my own research for I think for a lot of years I kind of buried my head in the sand you know I had exams to do I was kind of like "Mm, I'll deal with this later I was given the contraceptive pill as my treatment to kind of just start some periods so yeah for a lot of years I just buried my head in the sand kind of ignored it pretended it wasn't happening and I think it was when I got to my early 20s I was kind of like I'm ready to find a little bit more about this and I just did a lot of google searches and at the time Daisy Network was a, it was a a forum online and I found this forum of lots of other women and girls talking about it and having conversations about it and I was like, this is what I've got, this is it. So I have to say at 21 when I originally found the Daisy Network, I read that forum and I was kind of like, okay, I know what I've got now. And again, I kind of parked that to the side and didn't really do anything about it. I just felt like that was okay now. I knew I wasn't the only person. And that was okay that I knew there was other people out there, but I wasn't still quite ready to engage Mm. with it. So again, a couple of years later, I kind of returned to the Daisy Network site and 
started to engage with it more and realise actually, if I'd known this had existed from 16, I wouldn't have had those years of burying my head in the sand and I suffered with a lot of anxiety to the point I couldn't go out the house at one point. I got sort of agoraphobia so bad because of the panic attacks, which I think were a combination of hormonal because of the low estrogen, mm. sort of a menopausal symptom, but also a psychological impact of kind of just burying this diagnosis yeah, somewhere in a box thing <laughs> and not dealing with it. So yeah, I had um, this crippling anxiety and I, I I wondered kind of if I if I'd been given this space mm. at sixteen at diagnosis, things might have been so different for those five, six years where I felt really alone, didn't know what was going on, thought I was the only person in the country. Yeah, so I think that's when I kind of realised the importance of God, yeah, there is other people out there with this and I feel so much better now I know that there's other people out there. So that's when I sort of started to engage with the Days Network community at first. And there's a huge uh, amount of information, resources on the website. So it's daisynetwork.org if anyone's interested in having a look or wants to pass that information on. Um, so, and it's entirely uh, volunteer-led. How, so how? what's your involvement now with, with the charity? Yeah. So I, again, when I first, when I started to engage with the community, I think I was probably about 23, 24. And I kind of just dropped them a message and said, because I realised it was entirely volunteer run. And I thought, is there anything I can kind of do to help? And um, at the time, they didn't have any social media. So I sort of set up all of their social media accounts and started sort of an Instagram and a Facebook and Twitter page and that sort of thing. So I did that for a couple of years, just in the background and kind of got involved with their team meetings. And and I absolutely just loved having this, this group of people that were all kind of as passionate as me of raising awareness because the, the entire volunteer team are made up of either women with POI or medical team that work with women with POI so kind of run POI clinics and things like that so that's how I originally started and then I suppose my role just kind of expanded where I then started to to do kind of um and suppress emails and that sort of thing and then when the chairs that were that were kind of running it at that time decided it was time for them to step down I was then voted in as the the chair of the charity so that's what I've been doing for the past three years I think now so as chair I kind of oversee the the charity as a whole the direction that it's going in support the kind of volunteer team yeah and kind of just oversee it and I think what's really good is that as a as somebody that started as a member of the charity as somebody that used the service mm. I can then kind of you've got look that at empathy of, of with with people coming to it for the first time Absolutely. And I know what it's like to be there. And also, I know what I would have loved at that time. So that's how we've kind of been implementing it is actually, when people first find us, what support are they needing? And that's what we that's what we now provide. So entire volunteer run, we do it just all in our spare time, just as sort of a as a passion <laughs> project, really. Um, and yeah. 
And I guess what somebody, you know, the, the age that you were, sort of 15, 16, what they might need would be quite different to somebody who was getting this diagnosis at, say, 25, 26. Yeah, that's it. So what I kind of see the term POI or premature ovarian insufficiency as is kind of like an umbrella term for various different ways that you can get this diagnosis so people get this diagnosis sort of like that as a team before they've even started their periods Mm. there's people like get it in their 20s there's people like get it when they're trying for a baby and realize it's this isn't successful so what's happening then they get this diagnosis there's people like go through premature menopause or POI for example going through surgery say they've had polycystic ovary syndrome or they've gone through cancer treatment and chemotherapy and radiotherapy can put you into menopause so we have a network of women but everybody's story is is different so we kind of use POI as the umbrella term because everybody no matter what route they've found the diagnosis they've still got the same thing at the end of the day which is the premature menopause or premature ovarian insufficiency but each route comes with its own challenges and its own I suppose dynamics Um, everybody has a different story so for example somebody like myself who was diagnosed really young I didn't really get those typical menopausal symptoms. So I didn't get the hot flushes. I didn't get the mood swings because my estrogen wasn't ever high enough to drop. Right, I see. So younger people tend not to get those symptoms. Whereas somebody, say, in their 30s, they might come to the diagnosis because they're really feeling unwell, they're feeling getting the hot flushes, they're feeling really poorly, they're getting so tired, they can't concentrate. And that's how they might get to the diagnosis. Mm. And and they definitely at that at that age wouldn't be expecting all of that to be to be menopause, perimenopause. And that's what we find a lot of people really struggle to get the, the diagnosis, especially when they're in that category of the 20s 30s early 40s even because you go to the doctors with mood swings or fatigue or irregular periods and they're just like that's life that's stress <laughs> you know, that's a normal 20 year old who's got a million things going on so it takes a long time to actually get to the point of getting those blood tests to check for premature menopause because it's it's not the first thing on people's heads when a 20-year-old walks into the doctors with mm. these symptoms. And and looking at your website earlier, I think it's uh, something like 90% of the time there's no uh, sort of explainable cause, yeah. obvious cause for, for this happening. Yeah, that, that's, it, that's it. And usually once you've had the blood test that gives you this diagnosis, you'll then be given more blood tests to check for various autoimmune conditions so fragile x is one of them turner syndrome is one of them hashimoto's is another one but most of most women with the condition like you said 90 percent there is no known cause and that's part of the frustration of it is that it just happens spontaneously it happens for no reason whatsoever I mean, they're looking now into a big 
there's a big study going on just to check the genomes of women with POI to see if there's anything that maybe they can pick up that um, is in, in the women's genomes or is it something to do with they were never born with the same amount of egg reserve as other women so it runs out quicker. There's all of these studies going on but nobody knows why so we, may, we may know more hopefully in a few we more may, years we may know more in the future exactly hopefully but right now the majority of people that get those tests to find a cause don't get one and that's quite difficult for some people to accept I suppose because like I've been perfectly yeah. healthy I've why had me <laughs> why me exactly and am I right in saying that obviously for for, for those of us who are, who kind of come to this to menopause at inverted commas, normal age. HRT is, is perhaps slightly different consideration, but for somebody going through early menopause, it's really important that they get the sort of additional protection of estrogen to avoid things like osteoporosis. So are you, are you, you talked about being on um, contraceptive sort of hormones earlier in life. Are you now taking something that is more like HRT? Yeah, so... HRT is vital when you've got POI because really what we need to do is give us the same hormone levels as everybody else our age. So if you're 30, you should be having the same hormone levels as every other 30-year-old woman. Mm. And the way to do that is through HRT. So a lot of girls, especially when they're younger, they are given the contraceptive pill at first. And that's just kind of as a way to give you some estrogen until kind of things settle down a bit, symptom management. And then it goes into the more tailored approach, which is HRT. So we'll be on HRT, the same type of HRT that anybody's on mm-hmm. in normal menopause. But what we do find is women with POI need a much higher dose. So for example, if somebody over 50s, went on HRT they'd usually probably be given um two milligram of estrogen I'm on eight milligrams of estrogen so I take sort of two milligram tablet an additional two milligram tablet a two milligram patch so um we have to have a lot higher dosage to get our levels at the right place and you'd presumably expect to take keep taking that until sort of average age of menopause and then absolutely we need to have the right amount of estrogen otherwise bone health heart health brain health will suffer and obviously that's a long time to be without estrogen if you went through it in your 20s you know that's however many years of lack of estrogen and we know that we know the consequences of low estrogen in women over 50 so imagine Mm. another extra 30 years of no estrogen so yes we can stay on HRT until the natural age of menopause or longer if we want something that is important to note with POI as well obviously I know there's so much discussion and scaremongering dare I say about HRT with in terms of the risks and, and that sort of thing when you have premature menopause those risks don't exist because what you're doing is taking your estrogen up to the normal level of where it should be so you're not overfilling it you're taking it to exactly where it should be so you're not kind of adding in additional hormones you're actually just adding in the right amount of hormones that you should have had 
anyway. And so if anyone's listening to this and, you know, either perhaps their own child they think might be going through this or someone in their family or even them themselves, what what would you suggest is their sort of plan of action to um, get diagnosis? Yeah, so I think if you have a child or a sister or someone, a friend's daughter that you know that hasn't started their periods by 15, that's your first point of call to take them to the doctors and ask for an oestrogen and FSH test. Similarly, if you are over 20 and you start getting these symptoms of hot flushes or anxiety, depression, mood swings, what you might Google as and and see it's typical menopausal symptoms, first point of contact is to go to your GP and ask for those blood tests. Ask for an FSH test and an oestrogen test and from there you'll be able to gauge actually whether whether you are going through POI or even if you're in the very early stages of it sometimes if you're just getting these symptoms if you go as soon as possible to the doctor sometimes you can't prevent it but you can do things to kind of whether it's freezing your eggs or starting your family early just so that you don't get to the point of where your eggs have all depleted you can kind of catch it in the earlier stages so it's just really important that you go to the doctors and advocate for yourself and to get those blood tests but like I say if you have any suspicions at all you can go to our website daisynetwork.org and have a look at the list of symptoms and see if they ring true and even you know ask any of our members in our little community whether whether you think that it's something you could have and we can offer help and advice and direction but yeah and if someone's having let's say that you know they feel like they're not really getting anywhere with with the sort of medical professionals you can offer sort of support and advice to help them advocate for themselves yeah so we have a, a medical team within daisy network who are there to offer any medical advice give you direction of what to do what to what to request we have a list of specialist clinics that you can get referred to we also offer psychological advice if you've had the diagnosis or you're getting the diagnosis in terms of actually how to deal with this so I imagine that's to... a huge thing as well because it's not just the the physical fallout but you know dealing yeah. as you say with with all of that trauma really of of being especially if you want to have a family and you're suddenly you know that's off the table that's it so I think a a lot of it is there's two kind of I feel like there's a two-pronged approach to it the first one is the the medical side which is getting your HRT and getting your hormone levels where they need to be but the other is that psychological side because it's a very strange place in life to be because you don't fit in with your peers because they're on about fertility and contraception Hmm. and you're getting told you're in the menopausal category but then you also don't fit in with that either because you're like well I'm I'm 20 I don't fit in the same category as say my mum so it's a very strange limbo state to be in and psychologically it's hard to understand that so I think that's where the community really is helpful because they're your people who understand what Hmm. it's like they've been through it all is is that why you decided to to train as a psychotherapeutic counsellor yeah Yeah, it is. I think because I ended up going privately for therapy and it was a life-changing sort of experience for me. And I think a lot of people don't 
have the privilege of being able to either pay for the therapy or their NHS only provide one or two sessions sometimes or none at all. So actually, I really wanted to to train to then be able to offer the service to people who wouldn't be able to access it privately. And just because I found the benefit of it, I knew that it's so important for women with POI to be able to get that service. And is that the area that you specialise in or do you, yeah. you work okay? Yeah, I, I work other places too, but my specialist interest is in women with POI or menopause, yeah. And do you, I don't know, you, you've had a long time obviously to to kind of come to terms with this and reconcile what has happened. Are you at peace with that now? Do you still sometimes feel that kind of pang of what could have been? Yeah, um, I feel like I am at peace with it because... It's 16 years now since I've had the diagnosis. So I was diagnosed at 16 and I've had the diagnosis for 16 years. So it's mm. half of my life. And that half of my life, I feel like I've invested so much time and energy into coming to terms with the diagnosis that I'm at peace with it. And I kind of, I wouldn't know my life without it. So mm. I feel like it is part of me and I don't know who I would be without it. It's not saying that sometimes I still don't get annoyed that I've got it because I'm still trying to deal with my medication or my prescription's not in and I feel like I need to change my prescription because it's not working anymore or I start getting allergic to my patches so I've got to change them. Or then there's still those things of, you know, the the occasional trigger when, say, your friend gets pregnant and talks about it, how, oh, we only tried once and we got pregnant straight away and it's like, <laughs> that's amazing and I can... I can be happy for them Mm. but then there's also still that part of like yeah that's never going to be as easy for me so it's not to say that it's totally plain sailing and I'm happy about it but I've come to an acceptance where actually I've got the resilience to deal with those things that come along now yeah and I imagine training as a therapist probably helps quite a lot with that side of thing absolutely I've had to go through a lot of my own therapy beforehand and then when training as a therapist you've got to have so many hours of your own therapy as well so I've took a lot of self-discovery to to get to the place that I am now yeah well even if uh, we reach one one Amy through through this episode who who finds the daisy network when they really need it then it's it's worthwhile so I'm incredibly grateful both for the work that you and all um, your volunteer colleagues do um, and for your time today. So thank you very much for, for sharing your story. And um, yeah, the, there's a huge amount of information on the website. As we said, I'll pop the link in the show notes as well. It's an incredible resource. So well thank done. You. Thank you for having me on. It's great to have a platform to, to talk about it to a new audience. So thank you. Thank you, Amy. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.